So really, really cool thing. I am super excited about this. Uh, I do have handouts tonight, but I have not handed them out because the fill-ins that we usually do are now on the church app. And so all of you that have the church app, you can go to your church app. And so I'm going to show you how to do that really quick. I don't know if you can see this or not. This is the church app. If you don't have the church app, you can go to theapc.org from your phone. And you can go to the menu. And right there, there's a link to download our church app. You should do that. Because lots of information come, comes from there. There's a calendar there. Um, there's a Bible there. Uh, all of our events are there. Uh, there's a prayer wall there. A description of our ministries. All our podcasts are there. There's a giving portal there. You can order your coffee from there. So many things, so many things from our app. So this is well worth your time. It costs nothing. It's free. Just download it. But for Wednesday nights going forward, and, and I'll be doing, I know maybe some of our seasoned saints may not be too hyped up on doing things on their phone or their device. I still have paper copies, okay? But for all of you that, I just noticed there's a lot of paper. I talked to my wife. I said, hey, do you keep these notes? And she told me no. So I know if, if she's not keeping them, then nobody else is either. And I see a lot of paper around, which I'm glad. If it helps you in the time and the moment, that's great. But what's great about this is when you do um, fill in your notes, and sometimes there's places just to, to you know, uh, type notes, depending on the type of fill-in that we're putting in there, it does save them. And so you could go back and refer to them, study them, whatever, it'll be there. So whatever notes that you did on your notes. So here's how you do it. Uh, they will be saved. You go down here to the bottom left-hand corner and click more. And then there's a notes option. You click on that, you'll see last week's notes, which is incomplete. They're just kind of there for you. All right. But tonight we're going to talk about the rhythm of uh, refinement. And so if you click on that, You'll see it's really super cool. All of the fill-ins are right there with you. Even if the ones with the check marks, listen to this, for all you lazy people, you don't have to raise your hand, for all you lazy people, if you click the check mark, it'll just fill it in for you. You don't even have to fill it in, all right? So you have the option. <laughs> see, some of you are excited. Um, you have the option. You can either type it in or fill it in, and that's really good too because if you miss it, you could just hit the check mark and the answer comes right there, all right? Is that not super cool or what? Is that super cool? Okay, so I hope that's helpful to you. Um, I know I'm excited about it. All right, but for those of you that did not say that was super cool and you need one of these, anybody need a, a, a paper handout? Okay, Brother Dave, would you just be responsible? All right, Brother Dave has all the paper handouts. If there's anybody that wants a paper handout, give Brother Dave a hand. Raise your hand. Brother Dave's going to come around and give you a paper handout, and those fill-ins are available too, there too. I believe they're exactly the same, so nothing to worry about. So last time, for all you techno, like people like Mark Shukri, who are just tech geeks, Go to your phone, go to the app, go to more, go to notes, and the notes for tonight are there, and you can do your fill-ins on your phone, and you can save them. 
All right. So, last week, can anybody tell me what we talked about? Even just the title. Who can give me the title? What's that? Rhythm of Reflection. That's what we talked about. We talked about establishing a regular rhythm of being able to reflect on our spiritual lives and how that promotes good spiritual health. We looked at 2 Corinthians 13, where Paul tells us we've got to examine ourselves, that there, this is a duty for us. Examine ourselves, and as to whether you are in the faith. And so this is a, a very important thing to do. This is about whether you're doing well or whether you're not doing well, whether you're close to God, whether you're not, whether you're, you know, you're healthy or whether you're not. And we decided that we should reflect regularly on, regularly on what makes us spiritually healthy. And, and uh, this is a little bit of a recap. Th such things as, uh, am I growing and living in God's word? Am I praying and fasting for God's will? Am I giving to God's kingdom? Am I connecting with God's people? Am I doing God's work? Am I worshiping God's name? Am I sharing God's message? And so we decided that when, when believers do these things, that they're not only signs of spiritual health, but they're part, and this is a little bit of you know, a, a, a segue into what I wanna talk about tonight. They are a part of a system of spiritual health. What good is it if you only reflect? What good is it if you, even if you uh, establish a regular routine of getting up every day and going through, let's just say these things and more, and, and reflecting on your current status. What good is it if I get up, Brother Paul, every day and I say, am I growing in God's word? And I'm honest with myself. And I happen to one day or another honestly have to answer, no, I'm not too good here. And I stop right there. I just reflect. I see the gap. I see the difference. But do nothing about it. What if... I say, you know what, you know what, I am not a giver. All right, thank you, Jesus, for that revelation. And you just go on, all right? So there's a step here that we've got to include with reflecting. Knowing you have a poor prayer life does not change your prayer life. Knowing that, that you don't share the gospel does not change your behavior about sharing the gospel. Knowing that you don't serve anywhere in the kingdom of God, understanding that, admitting that, does not change that fact, worship, and on and on and on and on. So what do you do, and this is, I, I want you to you know, ask yourself this tonight, all of us, what do we do when you find a gap between what God is trying to do in us and what we are actually doing? What do we do when we find a gap between what we know brings this spiritual health, in other words, we reflect and we say, it's not where it should be, and our, our rubber meets the road behavior. They don't match up. And so I'm gonna tell you what believers do, healthy believers do. Healthy believers are not, they are not satisfied in just the overall process of being honest with God. 
they realize that being honest with God is supposed to take me somewhere and something's supposed to change. I'm just worried these days that nobody is changing. And even, even in the process of being honest about who we are with God and, and what God is doing or not doing or what we're not, more, more I guess, uh, accurately, what we're not allowing him to do in our lives, that if we never get to the place where we say, okay, what do I do with this and how does this get better, then I'm not sure reflecting even matters anymore. So what do you do when you find a gap between what God is trying to do in us and what we are actually doing? Believers work to close those gaps. This is what Paul taught us. Paul said, I'm working to close the gaps between what God wants for me and what spiritual health, you know, again, we spent all last week talking about what is spiritual health. Between what is spiritual health and where I'm at, Paul said, we gotta work on that gap. Philippians 3 and 10, and I read from a, a different version, it's amplified. Paul said this, he said, here is my purpose. My determined purpose is that I might know him. That, that's my goal, that I might know him, that I might progressively, all right, and these are the words that, if you do a word study, Amplified always flushes this out for us. He said that I might progressively become more deeply and more intimately acquainted with him in the process of doing that, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the many wonders of who he is and his person more strongly and more clearly all the time. He says that in the same way that I may come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection as it is exerted upon a believer so that I can share in his sufferings and be continually transformed. Paul said, that's my goal. That's pretty wordy, but that's my goal. I want to know him. I want to be more like him. Every day I get up, I want to progressively get closer and closer, understand more and more. That was his goal. And then the next verse, he says, I've not reached my goal. Just want you to know, I've not reached my goal. Not that I have attained this ideal. I'm not there. Or that I've already been made perfect. But, but here's what I'm doing. He said, I'm pressing. I'm closing the gap. I am pressing trying to get hold of or grasp and make God's ideal my own. That which Christ Jesus, the Messiah, has laid hold of me and made me his own. He said, I don't consider, brethren, verse 13, that I have captured or made it my own yet, this ideal, this goal here. But one thing I do, and it is my aspiration, he says, that I want to forget the things which are behind and strain forward to the things which are ahead. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling, right? Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul said this. Paul said, believers close the gap between the ideal of perfection in Christ and spiritual health and where they really are living. And it is a, it is a, uh, it is a pursuit, a daily pursuit pursuit to press toward what he called a prize, a reward of what it means to be uh, like Christ. So well, I guess what I'm trying to say tonight is this. Reflection is useless without refinement. Reflection is useless without refinement. In other words, 
where you find a difference, you should find a duty. Okay? Where you see a gap, you should, you should see a goal. You should see an action to take. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, we talked about this last week. Paul said, I discipline and, and subdue this body. And the reason I do is because I understand that no matter what I've done, who I've talked to, and how many churches I've built, and doesn't matter how many people I've preached to, there is a risk that if I don't put a daily process into my life of reflecting, yes, and this week we say of, of refining, Paul said, if I don't put that process into place in my life, I risk becoming a castaway. I risk being coming to the end of my rope somewhere, not being able to stand the test. Uh, I risk being unapproved. I risk being rejected by the very truth that I have preached. And, and remember what we said last week. Paul said, here's my frequency. I die daily. Paul said that, you know, this wasn't a weekly pursuit of his. This wasn't a weekly reflection, reflection and therefore it was not a weekly refinement. It was a daily reflection and a daily refinement. Every day, Paul made sure that he was honest about where he was at, and he also took action to close the gap when he saw a difference between the ideal of being like Christ and the life that he lived on this earth. So not only is there a rhythm of reflection, but there's also a rhythm of refinement. And you need to, we need to learn to establish a rhythm of refinement. Yes, being honest about who we are. Yes, being honest about our spiritual health. But then when we're done with that, to take the next and very necessary step of refining our lives, our actions, and our behaviors to reflect Christ. So, this word rhythm, what do we mean by rhythm? We talked a little bit about this too. Let me give you uh, just a, a definition. Rhythm is a strong, regular, repeated pattern. A rhythm is a strong, regular, repeated pattern. Whether it's in music, whether it's in motion, whether it's in decision, it's a strong, regular, repeated pattern. Strong and regular. Everybody say strong, strong. and regular. This is something that happens. It happens well. It happens with excellence. When I, I see those words, what, what, what I see in my mind is an exclamation point. It is strong and it is regular, okay? It's not haphazard. It's not, it's not half effort, okay? It's strong. It's intentional. It's strategic and it's consistent and it happens regularly over and over and over. So we're gonna study about a strong and regular repeated pattern of closing the gap between what God wants to do in me, his ideal, okay, and what I'm actually doing, my real, I, I don't wanna use the word performance, but my real living, where I'm at, what I'm doing, all right? So tonight, I really uh, felt to, to talk about this uh, in the context of three very specific things. I want to talk tonight about self-control. I want to talk tonight about uh, our thought lives. And I want to talk tonight about right habits. Self-control, our thought lives, and right habits. So, 
practicing, let's start with self-control. Practicing self-control is part of the rhythm of refinement. If you're gonna refine your lives, if you're gonna press for the prize, then you are going to have to learn to practice self-control. Read 2 Timothy 3, and it's familiar. In the, in the last days, you know, perilous times shall come. Everybody remember those scriptures? And so Paul starts laying down these characteristics of the last days, many of them. But tucked away in that list of attitudes and actions that, that will eventually completely unravel and destroy the morality of this world is the word incontinent, which means lacking self control, that in the last days, there will be a lack of self-control. But ironically, you go to Galatians chapter 5, and in the list of the results or the work or the, the fruit of the Spirit that Paul outlines, at least some of it, I don't think it's all-inclusive and there's nothing else, but Paul said, these are, you know, this is fruit of the Spirit, among that list, tucked away in that list, is the word continent or temperance, which means continent, the opposite of control. So it is self-control. And so Paul said, so that's good news for me. I don't know about you, but that's good news for me. Because when I hear self-control, I realize that's something, you know, my... I got to do myself. I have to control. I'm involved in that process. And that's not uh, a fun process. Uh, that's, that's not many times an easy process. Can I get an amen? Amen. Self-control is not always easy. And self-control is not always fun. Self-control is not always desirable. And so when I think about it in the terms of self, uh, it, it can be overwhelming, I think, to anybody. But what's great is, in the context of this scripture, I realize... Paul is saying, this is a work of the Holy Ghost, which tells me this, brother, I've got help. I've got help. I've got help with the overwhelming task of controlling myself. Maybe the greatest task that I have is controlling myself. Self-control, in a nutshell, this is my definition, take it or leave it. Self-control is accepting limits for leverage. Okay, I want you to think about that for a minute as you're putting that in there. Self-control is accepting limits for leverage. For some of you that came in late, if you go to the APC app and go to more and go to notes, these notes are all there and the fill-ins there. Okay, so limits for leverage. Proverbs 25, 28, one of my favorites, one of my favorites. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Well, the purpose of walls in the Bible, especially in, in Old Testament, even in New Testament, the purpose of walls in the Bible was two things. It was, it was for protection and it was for boundaries. It was for definition and it was for defense. If a city had walls because there were times where they wanted to keep stuff in, and a city had walls because there were times where they wanted to keep stuff out. And without walls, cities were vulnerable to attack. Anybody could come in to a city without walls and without gates, okay? But when walls or gates there, 
They may be able to get in, but it's going to be a whole lot harder because there's boundaries. You know where the city starts. You know where the city ends, and there is defense. Without walls and cities, uh, without walls and gates, cities are vulnerable to attack. And even though city walls restricted the inhabitants' movements, people in general were pretty happy to have them because they'd rather be protected behind walls that restricted them than not to have walls and be vulnerable to whatever wanted to come in to attack them. So using that little illustration there, here's what I'm going to tell you. Self-control does limit you. Well, you say, I don't, I, don't want, I don't want boundaries. I want to be myself. I don't want rules. I don't want this. Listen, that's fine. I understand that. But you need to understand, limits actually do help you. Self-control does limit you, but it is completely necessary for those same reasons. Self-control defines the boundary. Self-control provides defense. An out-of-control life is like an unprotected city with no defense and is open to all sorts of attacks by the enemy. You could sit there and say, look, it's not that big of a deal. I just got a lot of things that I give into. I got a lot of things. Listen, in all those places, in all those breaches in the walls of your life, I promise you they are holes in which the enemy can attack you a whole lot easier than if you just had and allowed the Holy Ghost to build self-control in your life. God says self-control is a wall for definition and defense. Walls are constricting, but the leverage it brings is more valuable than the limit it imposes. So we've got to learn to leverage the limit of telling ourselves, building those walls, telling ourselves yes and no in the right places, figuring out the right places to say yes and the right places to say no. Now, this, for all of you who say, well, yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty elementary. Well, yeah, yeah, why aren't we doing it? Okay? Learning, learning to, to build walls of self-control in your life is all about deciding, going through the daily process of making decisions and deciding where do I say yes and where do I say no? Because I'm going to tell you, the Holy Ghost has an answer for you in every circumstance of your life where self-control needs to be exhibited. And if we will listen, I promise you, the Holy Ghost will speak to us. It will, Brother Bruce, we talked about this this week, it will lead us and it will guide us in how much truth? All of it. All of it. So God says self-control is a wall and a definition. So walls are constricting, and we need to leverage that limit of telling ourselves yes or no in the right places. If we would just say yes to what we know to do, we'd probably be a little bit better, right? Can anybody, you don't raise your hand, but think about it. Because my guess is in this crowd of people that there's a majority, that there are things that you know you're supposed to do, and you are not doing them. There are places that you're supposed to be saying yes. And you're like, yeah, I got to get better at that. But you're not really working at getting better at that. Okay? You got to learn to say yes in the right places, learn to say no. And no to what we know not to do. Now, I'm not trying to say that somehow there's a, a height of perfection, but I promise you there is a better place in Christ when we learn to do this. 
Titus 2 and 11 said, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. If you have your Bibles, underline that right there, okay? Teaching us the grace of God, salvation. What's salvation in our life? What's that referred to? It's the grace of God. It's the work. It's the work of the gospel. It's the death, burial, resurrection. It's repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Everybody say salvation. It's the work of grace and salvation in our life. It's the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that's your no. Denying is your no. There's some things the Holy Ghost will tell you to deny yourself of. So, oh, but God's just full of grace. He is. And he's full of wisdom too. And he knows what'll hurt you and he knows what'll help you. And, and there, is, there is great benefit in the person that realizes that it is just as powerful to deny myself of things that hurt me as it is to say yes to the things of God that help me. Okay? So, so the first thing it teaches us that we must deny ungodliness and worldly lust. That's to know. And that on the other side of things, that we should live soberly, seriously about this thing and righteously, God's way, God's right, and godly, like him in this present world. That's your yes. There's things to say yes to, and there's things to say no. Well, what's the list? Well, I don't know all what's going on in your life. My guess is your list is different than Dr. Neal's list, and Dr. Neal's list is different than Brother Dave's list because we've all got personalities, we've all got appetites, we've all got circumstances, we've all got situations, we've all got pasts. And so there are things in your past that you have definitely got to stay away from that don't amount to a hill of beans to me. There are things in your appetites that do not bother me whatsoever. And there's some stuff in me you probably don't deal with at all in your life. What you've got to understand, everybody say, this is personal. Listen, this process is personal. You have got to reflect on where you're at and you've got to allow God to refine you where you're at. And that includes the process of saying, Lord, what is no to me and what is yes? Let me just go here. It's not in the notes. There's nothing to fill in here. But Paul said, you know what? There are some things that are lawful to me, but not all things are expedient. Not all things are helpful. Paul learned a long time ago. I've got a list that, don't amount, that doesn't apply to everybody, but it does apply to me. Paul said, there are things that I say no to because I know they will bring me under their power. He said, and I will not be a slave to them. And so, so yes in the right place, no in the right place. You got to leverage that limit of telling yourself yes and no in the right places. Amplified says this, that that the Holy Ghost trains us to reject and renounce all ungodliness and worldly passionate desires to live discreet, temperate, self-controlled, upright, devout, spiritually whole lives in this present world. So if we listen to the Holy Spirit, it will tell us what's right and wrong. And it'll tell us not only what's right and wrong for the masses, it'll tell us what's right and wrong for us. Amen? So here's, here, for, for those of you that might struggle, for all of us who might struggle at times, here's a really easy guideline to follow. It really is. 
Um, do it if Jesus would do it. And don't do it if Jesus wouldn't do it. I mean, I hate to make it simple, but there you go. Okay? If, if Jesus would do it, then you should do it. But if you know, <laughs> he wouldn't watch that. <laughs> uh, he would not go there. Uh, he definitely would not say that. He would not have the attitude that I have right now. If he wouldn't do it, then don't do it. Self-control is accepting the limits for leverage. And self-control is part of the strong, regular pattern of refinement in our lives. The second thing I want to talk to you tonight about is about governing our thought lives. Because governing, governing our, my thought life is part of the rhythm of refinement. So as I reflect on my spiritual health, if we, don't, if we don't understand that our spiritual health has a whole lot to do with our thought life, then we are really going to be miserable for a long time because what happens in our mind tends to govern our behavior. Can I get an amen from anybody right there? What happens in your mind, I always say it this way, before it gets in my hands, it went through my head. Right? Before it gets into my body, my actions, my behavior, it started right here. There's very few things in your life. It's like, well, I just saw red. I, I, I blacked out. That's a cop out, okay? <laughs> it went through your head. It went through your head, and therefore it got into your behavior. I, I read this quote, and I know I've used it before, but I love it. It's true. And here's what it says Sow a thought, reap an attitude. Sow an attitude, reap an action. So an action, reap a character. So a character and reap a destiny. Remember, go back to Proverbs. Those few first words, he that hath no rule over his own spirit. Here's what I get out of that. You own your spirit. You own it. You own your attitude. You own your thought process. I mean, you decide. You've got, you are ridiculously in charge of your attitude and your feelings. I've had, I've had people deal with me and say, well, I just feel, I just feel. And I, I've gotten to the place where I'm like, well, that's all on you. I mean, I really can't help it. I wish I could make you feel some way that you need to feel, but I don't know that I can. Maybe in some ways I can do that. Maybe if I say the right words, it'll change things, but I can't guarantee you I can make you feel better because that's something you determine on the inside. People say, I can't help my feelings. Yes, you can. Yeah, you can. You can decide how you feel about something. In fact, I would argue it's an entirely mental process of deciding how you're going to feel. I, I read a story um, I'm just going to preface this by saying this is my attempt at a joke. Get ready to laugh. Please um, get ready for your um, uh, polite laughs, okay? It's a guy. He was at lunch, and he was complaining to his, uh, his buddy about what was at his lunch pail, Brother Dave. He was probably at Caterpillar. And he said, man, baloney. For the third time this week, baloney. He's just going on about this baloney. And the guy said, look, dude, just... Tell your wife to fix you something else. And he says, my wife, I fixed my lunch. <laughs> Appreciate that laugh. Here's the moral of the story. We're all in charge of our own baloney. <laughs> right? Come on, tell me it's not true. It's true, isn't it, Paul? You probably heard that before. I'm sorry, you're underwhelmed. But listen, you 
are in charge of most of the stuff that you're frustrated with in your life. We bring it. We bring it to ourselves. The truth of the matter is this. What we think has a drastic effect on what we do and who we are. Okay, let me say that again. Soak it. Soak this up a little bit. What we think has a drastic effect on what we do and who we are. It defines all that. That's why Paul would say, I mean, listen to this. This is serious words here. Paul says, to be carnally minded is death. I can't think of a greater impact than that. I mean, that's more than just ruining your day. That's taking your life. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It matters what happens in your mind. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither can it be. That's why Paul didn't spend a lot of time, especially in this dialogue here in Romans 8, he did not spend a lot of time defining a bunch of actions. Well, here's what you should think. You should think this, and you should think that. He just kind of put it all together and said, hey, Carnal thoughts will kill you. Instead, he focused on thoughts. And we spend a lot of time on actions, on do's and don'ts. Where's the line? What's the rules? We got to head it off of the past. The principle is this. When we control what and where we think, we control our behaviors. And again, that sounds overwhelming. Well, I can't help it. That's just what my brain does. Well, I've got good news for you. You're not alone in that either. Ephesians 4 and 23 tells us to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Let the spirit renew our thoughts and attitudes. You have to let the Holy Ghost change the things that you decide to expose your mind to. Man, because here, here's the truth. And doctor, you tell me if I'm wrong. What you expose your mind to or what you expose maybe in your elements, that's what you tend to think about. Your atmosphere around you has a whole lot to do with what you think about. And so you've got, you need the help of the Holy Ghost to help you change what your mind is exposed to and then thus what you think. Colossians 3 and 2 says, set that's a verb, set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. Decide what realm you're gonna focus on. You focus down here, you're gonna get those results. But if you focus up there, you're gonna get those results, the things of God. Set your affection, think about such things. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. And if we are serious about renewing our mind, and we very much should be, then we're gonna have to make some changes of what we're putting in our mind. We're, we may have to stop watching some stuff. We, we may have to stop reading some things that we're reading. We, we, may, we may have to stop listening to some things that we know none of which of all those things point to Jesus. We need to, and then we may have to start taking in things that do point us there. And let me also just say this, a little caveat here. If you find yourself thinking the wrong way, I've got one word of advice for you. Stop. Let me ask two. Stop it. If you think in a way that you know brings you destruction, stop it. 
If you think in a way that you know brings you to a moment of temptation, stop it. If you think in a way that you know brings you to an unhealthy place of depression or discouragement, stop it. Because you can change what you think. Has anybody's thoughts ever terrified them? To the point where you literally were fearful and were scared? Have, you, have your thoughts ever taken you to a place you'd rather not be? How did I get there? And why can't I get this off my mind? You start thinking fearful thoughts. You become paralyzed to action. Anybody start thinking angry thoughts? Anybody have angry thoughts right now? You keep feeding that anger. And before you know it, you're in a rage. You start thinking depressing thoughts. Nobody cares. I'm all by myself. This is never going to get any better. I can't do anything. I'm, I'm no good to anybody. Before you know it, you're not any good. And you're unable to cope. You got to understand that this sort of negative, I, I use the word, and words I've seen are, are self-talk, okay? Can be very destructive and can steer us away from spiritual help. Now, let's look at the other side. Has anybody ever started thinking about good things? And all of a sudden, the attitude, the disposition, it picks up. Fun family time, puts you in a good mood, makes you happy. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, we can cast down imaginations and we can cast down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and that we can bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We can refute every argument, every theory, every reasoning, and every proud and lofty thing that sells, it sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. We can lead every thought and purpose away captive to obedience to Christ because governing your thought life is part of the refinement process. It is part of the strong, regular, repeated pattern of refinement. Let me hit number three and we'll be done. Developing right habits is a part of the rhythm of refinement. Has anybody ever either said or heard somebody say or told somebody, man, I'm in a rut? Anybody? Has anybody ever told anybody, look, you're in a rut? Anybody ever told anybody you need to get out of that rut? And I understand what you mean there. I'm not trying to say that's wrong, but let me just say this. Not every rut is wrong. Okay? Not every rut is wrong. Some ruts have rewards. I try to think of every R word I can think of. How do I know if a rut is right? Well, the question is, where's your rut running? <laughs> or more importantly, enough of the R's. More importantly, where are your habits taking you? You want to start looking and processing habits. Where do your habits take you? Because developing right habits are a part of the rhythm of refinement and something that has to be worked on every single day, working on right habits. Hebrews 2 and 1 says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. That sounds like a little bit of a rut to me. That sounds like Paul's saying, you know what? There's some ruts you need to hold on to. 
And you need to make sure they never slip because they're taking you in the right direction. He said in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, sorry, Thessalonians 2 and 15, therefore, brethren, stand fast. And he tells them, hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word and verbally or by epistle, by our letters to you. Paul said there's some things you've got to hold on to. There's some habits that are taking you in the right direction to the right place, and they're taking you to a place of spiritual health, and you've got to hold on to those things. Results that are valued and sought after never happen without paying attention to the process to get them. Let me say that again. Results that are valued and sought after, they never happen without paying attention to the process to get them. You don't get results by just focusing on results. Now, you got to know where the goal is. you got to know what the end game is. That's the reflection. If you don't have anything to reflect on, there's no goal, there's no destination, there's no direction. But you don't change your position by just knowing where you're going. Everybody with me? Nothing changes. I can say, I can sit here and say, I'm going home. No, really, I'm going home. I have made up my mind. I know, Brother Paul, I know where my home is at. 26, 12 persimmons place. I know where it's at. I love my home. My dogs are in my home. It's a great home. Brother Bruce, I'm going home. But here's the thing. Till I move these feet, there's a bunch of processes. I gotta, I gotta find my keys. That could take a while. I gotta get my wife, okay? No jokes there. There's a process, everybody say process, right? It's not enough to know the definition. Here's why I say all this. I think there's a lot of people that are just happy clapping and saying, I know what I need to do. I know what I need to do. I'm so glad I know. And they focused on the results. And that's good enough for them. But Paul, that was not good enough for Paul. Paul said, I, I know where I'm going and I'm working on and learning how I'm going to get there. And I'm working on a process of refinement because I'm not always making the progress that I need to make. You don't get results by focusing on results. You get results by focusing on the actions that get those results. You can spend a lot of time focusing on spiritual outcomes. Man, I'm gonna work for God. I'm gonna work for God. I'm gonna do this for God. Why never valuing the truths that actually bring those things to your life. You must form spiritual habits that get those spiritual results. So think about Last week, we defined, it's, it's not all inclusive, but we refined a lot of things. I told you, you know, healthy people worship, right? Spiritually healthy people give. From a pastor's point of view, I just, just developed this and said, spiritually healthy people, they're working in the kingdom of God. They're connecting with people. They're sharing the gospel. You know, they're doing all these things. So, so how do I focus on the process? If, For instance, I know I'm not a worshiper. I see the gap. What do I do? You need to develop a spiritual habit that changes the current result to meet the ideal of Christ. Amen? Well, what's that look like? Well, it could look different for different people. 
It may start with as, as simple as saying, look, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I don't care if I'm backwards or shy or whatever. When I get to church, or maybe let me just back up. I'm gonna practice at home. I'm gonna practice worshiping the Lord at home because I'm supposed to be worshiping the Lord all the time anyway. So I'm gonna do at home by myself what I'm embarrassed to do at church with everybody else. Okay, I'm not saying, I'm just, I'm just throwing this out there. I'm not saying somebody's like this. I'm just saying in, in, the, in the instance of somebody that you know, is not a worshiper for whatever reason, you gotta have a plan. You gotta, you gotta have, have a plan and I'm gonna develop a habit. I'm gonna set a goal. I'm gonna set a goal that's got, got some, some metrics to it. I'm gonna, this week, I'm gonna lift my hand. And next week, I'm gonna lift my hand. Okay, now here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna feel so good lifting your hand. The other one's gonna go up eventually, right? And we all know the progression there. So I mean, take any of those things. You can sit there and say, I need to pray. I need to pray. Prayer, my prayer life stinks, man. I, I need to talk to the Lord. Well, what are you gonna do about it? Well, I'm gonna pray more. When? Well, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put a time together. What time? What's your time? Well, I don't know yet. You know, the mornings are, okay. Uh, first of all, let's get rid of the excuses. Let's set a time. Let's set a place. Do you think that's a plan? Let's form a habit. Let's, a, a habit. Um, okay, uh, six o'clock. Six o'clock in the morning. I'm gonna wake up at six o'clock in the morning. I'm gonna wash my face, take a shower, whatever. I'm gonna go down to the living room. I'm gonna read at least a chapter and I'm gonna pray for at least five minutes. For some of you, you're like, well, that ain't much, but it's a whole lot to somebody who doesn't have a prayer life. Do you understand what I'm saying? So apply it, however, to whatever degree. But you've got to come up with a plan. If you need devotion time, you need a plan. If you say, well, I really just struggle with giving. So what's your plan? I'm going to tell you, give you a really great plan. Recurring payments. You go on breeze and you say, Lord... I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna give my way out of my financial mess. I'm gonna set up a recurring payment, set it and forget it, and you're gonna get what belongs to you, and I'm gonna count on the blessing that comes to me. That's a plan. Saying, I'll write the check, you know, you know, if, if there's enough, that's not a plan. So you understand, those are examples. Right habits are formed from right identity. In other words, knowing what to do comes from knowing who you are. Why is all this important? Because you are not just anybody. I'm not just looking at just anybody here. Knowing what to do, is, is this is all bird that knowing who you really are. And this is an exercise for later, and I'm closing. This is an exercise for later. Do this at home. Do this for devotion in the morning when you get up or demotion, devotion tomorrow. Consider this. I am, therefore, I do blank. I am blank. Therefore, I do blank or I blank. Because of who I am, this is the action. This is the behavior that is current in my life. Okay. Everybody say, I am. Therefore, I do. For instance, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I am a new creation. Therefore, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. I am not my own. I am bought with a price. Therefore, I'll glorify God in this body. 1 Peter 2 and 9, 
I'm part of a chosen generation. I think it says chose generation, forgive me. I'm part of a chosen generation. I'm, I'm a royal, part of a royal priesthood. I'm part of a special people. Therefore, what? First John 3 and 1 through 3. I'm a child of God. Therefore, I what? How does that birth action in your life? Ephesians 2 and 10. I'm his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Therefore, I blank. The development and dedication to right spiritual habits is part of the strong, regular, repeated pattern of refinement. Allow me to summarize tonight as we close. Spiritual reflection is incomplete without spiritual refinement. If knowledge and honesty of your spiritual health does not birth action, you're not allowing God to do everything he wants to do. A rhythm or a strong, regular, repeated pattern of both, uh, pattern of both, both reflection and refinement work together to create a healthy, spiritual, God-used life. And refinement of my spiritual behavior is impacted greatly by my willingness to, number one, practice self-control. And thank God the Holy Ghost helps me. Number two, govern my thought life leading my thoughts to be obedient to Christ, understand that they are mighty through God. The Holy Ghost helps me here too. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, mighty through God to the casting down imaginations. So God helps me to govern my thought life and to develop and sustain right habits, to create the ruts that aren't there yet and sustain the ruts that I know are working for Christ in my life. Amen? We need a rhythm of reflection and a rhythm of refinement. Can you pray with me right now? Father, I thank you, Jesus, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for these precious people. I know, God, that it is their heart and their desire to serve you, to love you. God, to be healthy and be the, be the, the chosen vessels that you have called them to be. I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to do more than just understand where the gaps and the spaces are. But I pray, Lord, that you would prompt us, even outside of this study tonight, that you would prompt us, Lord, to develop processes, to develop plans, God, to get intentional and strategic about closing the gaps between the ideal of knowing you and the real us in the life that we are living. I praise you for that, Lord. You're gonna help us. And Lord Jesus, we're gonna pursue you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. I do need to make one announcement. On the 25th, two weeks from tonight, on the 25th, we will have our annual business meeting. That's the right date, right? Uh, we will have our annual business meeting. There will be no classes. There will be no, uh, we will open the cafe, I think. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see about that. Um, but there will be no classes. There'll be no adult Bible study. There'll be no nursery. There'll be no children's. It is business meeting, okay? And so please come. Uh, if if uh, you think business meetings are boring, then we're doing our job. Hallelujah. Because that means there's no problems and everything's wonderful. But this is your church, and this is your time annually 
to uh, look to the business and the finances of the church. And so, and of course, we've got a, a few things we have to do. We need your help with in ratifying, such as board members and things like that. So please be here the 25th, 25th. That's a Wednesday night. Our Wednesday night is dismissed. We have it. It will be at 7 o'clock, and then um, we'll, uh, we'll just adjourn from there, and you can go home, okay? All right, this Sunday, don't forget, did everybody enjoy? Let me just ask you, maybe you didn't hear it. Did everybody enjoy Sunday, the new format? Let me hear it. Did you enjoy it? Awesome. Well, guess what? It went so well, we're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. I mean, I told staff, I said, I can't think. I told our staff, we did like a little recap. I said, I can't. I can't think of any greater validation than four people baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. Anybody excited about that? I think God smiled on us. Amen. So we're going to do it again. So 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock adult class in the, I know we did get some feedback. The adult class, we're still going to keep the classes where we are, but just understand we are watching that. That adult class is a little full. We may do some switching in the future, but right now everything stays the same. The adult class is in the conference room. The young adults are here, and then our students are in the loft, and our children are in the children's department area back here, okay? Check-in for children is in the foyer now. So you got to check in your children in the foyer. And do they still pick them up downstairs, though? They still pick them up downstairs. But you check in in the foyer, head to your class, uh, pick up your kids downstairs, worship at 11. Here's the other thing I'll tell you. I'll let you go. This is funny, actually. I, I told Brother Bruce, I said, I think he's the first one I told. I said, in my, I've been a pastor for almost 18 years now here. And in the last 18 years, I don't think we have ever had that many people at the beginning of service in 18 years of pastoring. So if at all, if all it does is it gets everybody to church on time, I think it's probably worth it. All right. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.